Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Join Tyler and his team as they unlock the secrets to achieving financial independence through wealth building strategies inspired by Robert Kiyosaki and other thought provoking leaders. Learn to build leveraged streams of cash flow that land in your pocket and improve your quality of life. Gain access to cutting-edge ideas that will increase your productivity and streamline your success. Find out how to supercharge your retirement plan so you won't have to retire with a pay cut. You can escape the rat race. Are you ready? It's time to Learn to Earn with Tyler Chef. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys podcast. It is that time again. We are here for another episode, and I hope you are ready to learn to earn. My name is Tyler Chef. I am your host. If this is the first time tuning into the podcast, first of all, thank you for coming. I appreciate it. A lot of you are, of course, loyal listeners. You've been here since the beginning. Some of you have been here about halfway through the journey. Regardless of how you got here, why you're here, I am glad you're here. The team and I appreciate you taking the time to come out and spend a minute with us taking your real estate investing to the next level. So today we're going to talk about how to get to the facts. And with that, I mean due diligence. Now, we talked about in previous episodes the fact that sometimes the numbers are less than accurate, let's say, and I'll be nice by saying less than accurate. And today we're going to talk about how we're going to get that back to accuracy because accuracy ultimately is important. You know, granted, we... If we just tried to analyze a deal only based on the numbers we were provided and we we tried to go to closing without any due diligence, most deals would never get closed. That's a fact. And instead of it, this looking looking at this from a negative perspective, and you know, the episode last time we talked about why sellers lie and why brokers lie, and today we're going to talk about how to actually get past that, how to get past the manufactured information, how to get to the true meat of it, to the facts of life, and uh, the things that you're going to need to be able to get going in the right direction. So talking about due diligence, due diligence is one of the most important parts of deal crafting. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Now, my humble opinion, there is no deal until a closing has happened. Okay. A closing has already occurred and a realized profit has been achieved. If you haven't made your profit, because remember you make your money when you buy. So the deal's not done until whatever you're going to do is done. And, and by that, I mean, let's say you're going to do a value add opportunity. So you, you buy the property, it's running at a loss for a while, you're going to re, uh, reposition it, stabilize it, get it all dialed in. At that point, then I consider the deal done because everything's status quo, everything's moving on. However, we have to understand there's a journey to get there that doesn't happen on day one. I don't care if you buy new construction, there's going to be a period of adjustment, a period of time to where things are going to have to be, things are going to be a, a bit... Uh, discombobulated maybe and getting started. But then as you work through the deal, you've worked through the process, you will see things starting to pick up, things starting to change. So with that, you know, the first step to buying safe, the very first step to buying safe is, and more importantly to buy smart, is you've got to be a pig. you got to be a professional information gatherer. I learned that from Jay Massey, one of my mentors, and nothing could be more true. You got to get good at gathering information. That's a fact. Now, if you're not the type of person that's good at asking questions or if you're uncomfortable asking questions, that's okay. 
That just means that you need to find somebody who is good at those things, somebody that has those skills. Put them on your team and get them to work. Because if you're going to have to have these answers no matter what. Okay, let's say you get this under contract and you think it's a great deal. You're going to have to answer to somebody, whether it be you have a private money lender, maybe you've got a bank involved, you're getting a mortgage, whatever. <clears throat> somebody is going to need this information at some point during the process. And frankly, if you're doing a deal without getting this information, that's very, very dangerous. You're putting yourself and potentially other people in financial jeopardy. And I wouldn't put yourself there. It doesn't make good sense. So first of all, to be a pig, to be successful, we've got to learn how to be a better listener. This is a hot button of mine. I get people call me on the phone on a regular basis. And they, from the minute I say hello, they talk until it's time to hang up. I kid you not. Okay, we have to learn how to be better listeners by using our ears, okay? It takes your ears to listen, not your big mouth. Now, granted, I have a podcast, basically, because I spend a lot of time listening to people talk on all day. This is the one chance I can have a conversation without people interrupting me, so <laughs> there we go. I don't know if you put it pushing pause when you're at home. That's fine. I can't, I'm just kidding. Not really. But the... Uh, you got to get good at being a good listener. And if you are a terrible listener, then again, I'm going to say this. You're going to need to put somebody on your team who's a good listener. Okay. Maybe a mom. Women tend to listen better than men in most cases, in my experience anyway. Find somebody who is a good listener. Find somebody that possesses that skill. Empower them to go to work. Okay. Empower them to make a difference in your company. So now that you've got a good listener, you know, you're going to have to employ them or hopefully that good listener is you. You're going to have to get them on board with the 70-30 principle, okay? Just because you may think they're a good listener doesn't necessarily mean they are. The 70-30 principle dictates that we're going to listen 70% of the time. We're going to talk 30% of the time. And here's the deal. When we're talking, we should only really be asking questions. If we're not building rapport, we should be asking questions. And asking questions is extremely important. Okay, extremely important because you're not going to get the information that you need to do the deal unless somebody opens their mouth and asks the questions. And some of those questions, I'll be honest with you, can be challenging sometimes. Some of those questions are tough to ask just because they might feel to you invasive, so to speak. But that's okay. You have to get past that because you have to understand that's part of the process. For example, when a doctor is diagnosing you, sometimes the doctor has to ask some tough questions. Have you ever been an intravenous drug user? I look at them going, oh, God, no. But they still need to ask that question when, as part of their diagnosis. If you look in, you, know, you have an infection or something like that. Difficult question, but although it's difficult, it's a very important question. So you're going to have to work through that process. And one of the ways I suggest you do that is by getting used to having conversations with your friends and coworkers and whatnot. Go into the conversation with a goal to, to achieve a certain amount of uh, level of understanding on a subject. Something that you're not necessarily an expert on, okay? And query that person. Ask that person questions that is an expert in that topic. That's going to help you get used to getting the answers to your questions on topics that you knew nothing about, i.e. the other person's house. Perfect example. So when we find out, we talked about last time about why people or, or the fact that people are not giving accurate information, and this is, it's it's rampant. It's, I can tell you, like I said before in previous episodes, I've never had a deal where all the information was 100% factual. That's unfortunate. 
that doesn't mean that I think that everybody is a liar that's in real estate. That's that's not true at all. Contrary to that, I feel that there are many, many reasons. And this this week I want to talk about some of those reasons and I want to go into how we're going to get the information specifically. So let's go ahead and get started. We're going to talk about why they hide the facts or why they don't provide accurate information. And I'm going to tell you, reason number one is the sellers are scared. Okay, Understand that sellers are as scared as you are. When you're negotiating, you're going in to make an offer, you're in due diligence, you're getting inspections done. Whatever is going on, you have to understand that the other party is in fact as scared as you are. They are absolutely as scared as you are. So you have to understand that. And sometimes that fear causes them to omit very important facts, okay? So it doesn't mean necessarily that they're intentionally trying to be dishonest or maybe it's just a, a, a tactic that they've come up with, a defense mechanism, if you will, because they're scared, because they're simply scared. And, and that's completely understandable that they're scared. It's a big deal to sell a piece of property. It's not something that the average person is just simply okay with. I mean, they're okay with the payday, but sometimes the journey getting there can be a challenge in itself. So another reason is they don't have a handle on the income expenses, and that's a fact. They simply don't understand where they are in the in the investment. They simply don't know is really what it comes down to. I can't tell you how many deals I've reviewed over the years that the seller had not a clue what their expenses really were. All they knew is they were writing checks, and bills were coming in, and, and money was going out, and it didn't feel right, but the fear crippled them. They were so scared to really get the true answer to the situation that they had to start thinking twice about it. And then they decided that it better just be better to sell than it would to solve the problem. And there's nothing wrong with that mindset. That's how I buy property. I mean, that's I'm kind of okay with that because it's a great way to source opportunity. Somebody else is, has a situation they cannot solve on their own. We provide that solution to them. That's the core of my business. That is absolutely the core of my business. So embrace that. Embrace it. Sometimes people just get overwhelmed with that which is going on around them, that some situations are just too insurmountable to overcome for them. And that doesn't mean that they're bad people or they're weak or whatever. It just means that they don't process things the way you do and they don't necessarily deal with things in the same manner that you do. So use your experience, use your problem-solving abilities to get to the bottom of it, okay? Now, many people... And, and I just had this happen the other day. They've overpaid for the property, okay? Whenever they bought it in the past, they've overpaid for it. And now they're trying to recover from that. And again, that goes to, they're simply, they're embarrassed. I just had this deal the other day. It was a six-unit property over in Sarasota or Bradenton. I'm working on for some friends and some buyers of mine. And we were looking at the deal, and it's overpriced. And we were negotiating with the agent. And I think what really happens here is that the agent has some sort of a relationship with the sellers. Uh, friends or whatever, she was extremely, extremely protective over the situation. She was not very experienced as an agent in uh, multifamily, and they wouldn't come off their price at all. And I went and looked back, and she, they, she kept referring back to, well, they paid 300 and some odd thousand for it back so many years ago. It's like, well, that's 13 years ago, ma'am. I mean, I get that what they paid for it, but let's be honest, that's 13 years ago, folks, 13 years. So, and she said, well, they've, they've paid 330,000 for it and they just put 30,000 into it. I said, I understand that. However, they, they've owned it for 13 years. They've made a positive cash flow, At least they should have for 13 years. 
you do that math, they've done quite well. So you got to leave a little bit of meat on the bone for the new buyers because they're not buying these buildings because they're sexy. They're not buying these buildings because it looks good with a photograph sitting on their mantle. They're buying these because they need some sort of a return on their investment. That's just logical. Now, in this case, the deal didn't come together because we were just simply too far apart on numbers. The buyers that I'm dealing with are very sophisticated. They're very smart, which is who are the type of people I like to work with because these buyers are not going to buy something just to buy something. See, that's the type of client that I work with, that I love to work with. That's the type of client. These are one of my favorite clients because, and they're good for, they've become good friends of ours because they're intelligent people, number one, and they take the time. They're not emotionally buying. See, they're buying because they want to expand on the horizons. They want to guarantee their retirement. They want to make a return, a significant return, a fair return, because you can be fair and significant at the same time, but they want to make a decent return on their money. So they come to us because of my experience and the experience of my team to make help them make great deals. I can't help that these sellers overpaid for the property and rest assured, we're not done yet. Now, granted, somebody may buy us out from underneath this deal come in with cash, whatever, and buy us out before we have a chance to buy this thing. That's going to happen, folks. That's But that's not a big deal because it's better than us stepping into the seller's quicksand. Larry Harbolt talks about that in his podcast, The Real Deal Podcast, my friend Larry. We can't step into the seller's quicksand. Larry's adamant about that. He teaches that in all of his classes. Don't step into the seller's puddle of mud. Okay, Just don't do it. Another reason is brokers are trying to inflate the price to make the seller feel better and more agreeable. And I have this happen a lot. I hear this a lot. Sellers or agents are afraid to say no to the client. They're afraid if they don't capitulate, if they don't agree to exactly what the client wants, they won't get the business. And that may very well be true because the sellers, in a lot of cases, are not savvy enough to realize they're hurting themselves, that they're not benefiting themselves at all by overpricing the property. That, That just doesn't work. And more importantly... By concealing the facts. You see, when you conceal the facts, as you well know, now it's a, it, everything becomes in question. Every, we, we scrutinize everything now because we've already been given uh, inaccurate information from the word go. So it's only going to get worse. Now we're, we're skeptical. And when we're skeptical, what happens, ladies and gentlemen? We dig deeper. That's exactly what happens. Sometimes the sellers are frankly embarrassed that they've done a lousy job managing the asset. And this is very, very popular, especially in my market. We've got a lot of accidental landlords or land people that are landlords that probably shouldn't be landlords. And based on that, uh, they're, they're embarrassed. They know that they've done a terrible job. So they inflate the numbers because they're prideful people. They don't want to show the world that they've done a terrible job or they made a bad decision or they made a worse, they made a bad investment. Nobody wants people to say, hey, look, you're a screw up. So they're going to sometimes provide information that is, I'm going to say, less than accurate, mainly to provide the, to protect their own perceived self-worth. Is it right or wrong? It's not my place to judge. It is a waste of my time when their information is not factual, but that's why I have to charge what I do because a lot of what I do as an agent when I'm working for other people, representing other people, is I spend a lot of time researching that is would normally be non-compensated time. So... When it comes down to an, uh, a deal actually coming together, we have to charge a fee that is commensurate with all of the other th- stuff we've done for free. Here's the good news, though, is that our buyers don't pay our fee. 
our buyers don't pay our fee at all. So the service that we provide to qualified buyers in our market is absolutely free of charge to them. It's all about understanding where the money comes from, but I digress. So let's talk about how to get the info. Okay, now we've realized we need to get the info. We've realized the info we have is, is not accurate, that it's just bad info. How do we get the correct info? Well, here's the first one, the most important one. This one stumps most people, but I'm going to go ahead and, and say it nice and slow so you get it. So if you're driving, I want you to pull over, grab a pen and paper. If you don't have a chance to pull over, that's fine. You can go back and rewind. It's three little letters. It's not real hard when you need to know the answer to a question. Are you ready for this? You ask. Yes, you ask. A-S-K, ask. Ask them directly. This is why I love being face-to-face -face whenever I can with a seller. This is why I love being face-to-face -face with a listing agent whenever I can. Because you look them in the eye and you ask them a direct question. Okay, you look them in the eye and you ask the question. And then ask for the answer. And then when you ask the question, hopefully receive the answer. People have a difficult time looking you in the face and bullface lying to you. The minute you see them look down, look up, look sideways, look everywhere else, you know that they're probably not being 100% forthcoming with the information. There's a very good uh, truth serum, so to speak. There's a little uh, web program called Zoom.us, Z-O-O-M.us. It is a free web teleconferencing platform. you got a webcam on your phone or your computer. You can actually call somebody with a Zoom call. You can use Skype for the same thing. Have that face-to-face -face with them. Okay, in today's world, unless you're out in somewhere in the boondocks, Internet's pretty much available everywhere, as far as I'm concerned. So potentially get on the phone with them over a Wi-Fi connection in a face-to-face -face over the phone. That's how I do like to do a lot of negotiations. We've started doing podcast interviews that way, actually. And a lot of people that have interviewed me, came through my publicist, are now doing video interviews. It's a great way to get good factual information from people because it's almost as good as being face-to-face. -face. So try that, folks. Just ask the question and try to be face-to-face. -face. Now, public records is always my old go-to, my standby. Going to government sites like the tax collectors, the small claims court, criminal court, eviction records, run their names uh, in government databases that you can go as low as the city level, the county level, the state uh, you can go on a federal level. There's all kinds of federal databases that are repositories for information. And when, you, when you're searching on these websites, don't forget, I mean, I get that there's just the person's name, John Smith, but here's the problem. How many John Smiths are in public records? So take it a step further. You want to find out more information, get the legal description from the tax rolls for the property, like uh, no blitz subdivision lot number four or something like that. Get that information and Google search that information. Learn more about the individual area, the individual subdivision. And when you're doing public record searches, a lot of cases you can search by the property description. So do that by the legal description. Sometimes you'll find court records that have nothing to do with this particular seller, but they still attach to the property. Call it a pre-title search, if you will. So go through that information. Company names is another one. If you know they have a company, if they own a bar, if they own a restaurant, if they own a business, run the business. Learn a little bit about who you're dealing with. You know, if there's a company name on the deed, run the name of that company and try to establish some sort of a track record so you know who you're dealing with. This is going to help you get good information. I was running a search once. Come to find out this guy's like 
had, I don't know, he had like four federal tax liens, which I didn't even think that was possible, but four federal tax liens. He was, what turns out he was wanted by the FBI. There's all this garbage about this guy. He was a nut job. It turned out to be like some kind of a weird sociopath. But I found all this out by Google searching and public records. It was like, goodness, now I'm not going to say. Every, most, you know, a lot of what you read on Google is garbage. I primarily tend to trust the information or at least give some credence to what's recorded in public records. If it's not in public records, I don't, you know, it, it could be somebody made up. It could be the guy's a restaurant and somebody got sick and thought they food poisoned him or some former customer or some competitor that might be uh, trash talking them online. I've had that happen to me. I've got a cyber stalker I've told you guys about. This guy is a sociopath. He's been chasing me for years and years and years. He puts things online about me. It's unfortunate, but there's nothing I can do about it at this point. You just let it go. It's not worth wasting time getting all wrapped up on it, you know, all chapped up about it. So when you get that information that's just anonymous, number one, don't necessarily take it as fact. Don't confront the person as if they're a criminal because here's the thing. The information you got may not be accurate, so understand that. A disgruntled spouse, husband, wife, whatever, ex-girlfriend, ex-boyfriend, these people can put things online that's that's not favorable. So just do your do your due diligence and verify the facts. One thing you don't want to do in negotiations, you're getting in inspections and things like this, you don't want to go, go out and accuse them of being a fraud because what if the information you found was not accurate? That goes back to the first one, ask. You find something that's of that has to do with the property, okay, that has to do with the property. I don't care if they... They stole a stick of gum when they were a kid. That has nothing to do with the property. I'm not going to mention that. That doesn't matter. Okay? Focus on what matters. Talking about searches, search them on Google, but also search on YouTube. Okay? You may see old videos, for example, of Google, or I'm sorry, YouTube, if you don't know already, is considered the most powerful search engine in the world, the most powerful in the world. So use YouTube as a tool. Sometimes you can go back in time and you can see videos of the house. Maybe you're going to see a kid's birthday party from 30 years ago. Maybe you're going to see a, a, some wholesaler walking through the property. It's all nasty and trashed. And maybe the video was taken a year ago and now you're looking at a pretty house online and that would give you some extra information, information that might be valuable for you to know. So harness YouTube as a tool. It's a very, very powerful search engine. I found property ones that on the surface look gorgeous and then I YouTube did I searched the address in YouTube and I just put in the house number in the street and lo and behold there was a series of videos where the property was used as a meth lab now the seller did not disclose this that's a problem Meth methane methamphetamine production is very very dangerous highly explosive and happens to be very expensive to remediate had I not searched it in Google, I never would have known because the seller did not disclose that information willingly. I caught them. And the video I watched is of a police raid, raiding the place, kicking the door in with a battering ram and dropping people in the ground. And then there was a fire and there's all these different things. None of that was disclosed, but people, nosy neighbors, caught it on, on, on YouTube and, and put the video on YouTube. So thank goodness. Here's a little trick to help you escape, skip tracing, folks. Get somebody's phone number, you're not sure who the phone number belongs to, or you're trying to verify that it's the right number. Type the phone number in Facebook. Fact. Facebook is like the second most powerful search engine in the world. I'm told. I may be wrong, but I'm told. And I've tried this. If you're trying to skip trace somebody, you happen to have a phone number but not a name, type it into Facebook. Chances are it's going to attach a name to it, and that's going to help you track people down. Okay? 
it's also interesting to kind of, you know, take a look at their profile, the sellers. If they're on the profile and they're complaining about the house and, oh, my gosh, that flooded last month and I can't believe it. I'm selling this crappy house, whatever. Well, you'd be amazed if people will talk about anything on Facebook and then they complain that, you know, you're snooping on me. Well, if you wanted it private, don't put it on Facebook there, buddy. But <laughs> people will spill the beans on Facebook. For that matter, run the address on Facebook. You'll see garage sales. You'll see similar stuff that you'll see on YouTube, but even more. So run the address on Facebook in the search bar. I do that on a regular basis. It's amazing what you can learn about a property and the owner. If it's an investment property, if it's a rental property, which I hope it is, because I hope you all are not still flipping houses after all this time I've been trying to teach you otherwise. But let's say that it's got a tenant in it now, require an estoppel letter. Okay, an estoppel letter is a letter that's usually prepared by either the title company or the attorney, whoever's doing the closing. And the estoppel letter dictates uh, what's what the rent is being paid right now by the tenant, what amount rent. It says, I, John Q. Public, pay $650 a month to Tyler Chef as rent. And I have a blank $500 deposit on account with Tyler Chef. What that does is, it provides you a track record to show that if the seller said the rent is 650, the tenant also said the rent is 650. Here's what you don't want to have happen. That he said, we said after closing. And I've had this happen on one of my first deals many years ago. I bought a little rental property and actually I bought it to flip it. And at the time it wasn't a big deal because I was going to relocate the tenant anyway. But my point is of the illustration, we saw this property, we, we thought things were a certain way, we find out later that they're not. And what it was is the guy said that rented for 850 When I asked for an estoppel letter, the guy got a little little jumpy and didn't, didn't want to, don't bother the tenant. I said, well, we're going to have to do this to close. And lo and behold, the rent was like 400 okay, because I went and approached the tenant, and the tenant filled out the estoppel letter, and the rent was like 400 and there was no deposit. Had I relied on, on the seller's word, I would have gotten myself in a little bit of hot water. So I was able to use the estoppel letter as a tool, and that's spelled E-S-T-O-P-P-E-L, estoppel letter. And that'll be in the show notes if you want more information about the estoppel letters and, and, and whatnot. Now, ask the seller face-to-face, -face, as I said in the beginning. Ask them face-to-face. -face. Like I said in the very beginning of this, this section, uh, if you're getting face-to-face -face with them, they're, it's going to be less likely for them to be dishonest. Now, granted, some people are really good at lying. And there's nothing you can do to get around that. That's just reality of life. However, if you're face-to-face, -face, it makes it a lot easier. I've already talked about the tools, Skype and Zoom, things that you can use. Face-to-face -face also goes for the broker, guys. Okay, Meet the broker at Starbucks. Offer to buy them a cup of coffee. Tell them you want to sign the contract face-to-face. -face. You want to sign it in person if you're local, if the property's in your market, and the agent's in your market, which they should be. Then meet the broker face-to-face -face and ask these very same questions to the broker. The same rules apply, folks. If they look at the ground or look at the ceiling fan or they're dodging the question, there's a pretty good chance that they know something they're not disclosing to you. Now, an agent is ethically required to disclose anything, anything that ha that may cause, that may have an impact on the value of a property, okay? Anything that may have a material impact on the value of the property, a licensed agent is required to disclose. They can lose their license if they don't disclose. It's a very serious thing when to a real estate agent. Okay, very, very serious. So make sure that you try to get face-to-face -face with them. If they start dodging the question, well, I've already told you how serious that is. Sometimes you may have to remind them of that. 
Another way and the last way to do it is to call utility companies, folks. Pick up the phone, call utility companies, call the vendors that service the property. There's a lawn guy. Talk to the lawn guy. Ask the lawn guy, what does he, how long has he been cutting the grass? Does he like working for the seller? Has he had any, noticed any problems with the property since he's been cutting the grass? That type of thing. Get creative here. Here's where being a pig comes in very, very handy. Be Get used to asking questions. And what I do sometimes is I will write the questions out in advance. So I'm going to take a legal pad and I'll write out all the questions that I want to ask, let's say, the lawn guy. And I keep that in my truck. So when I run into the, the lawn guy, because eventually I will, I'm going to have these questions ready to ask him. Okay, I'm going to have those questions ready so I can ask these questions. Maybe the seller's attorney. Who knows? Whoever is attached to this property in any shape, way, or form is going to get some sort of a phone call from me at some point during the deal so that I can do my for my due diligence. Ladies and gentlemen, it's all about buying safe, okay? There's one thing to negotiate a great deal and get the numbers looking good, but it's another thing to get the numbers accurate because if they're not accurate, ladies and gentlemen, you don't have a great deal. What you have is a bogus deal. Don't get yourself in that situation. But also understand that not everybody's a lying criminal cheat fraud. Sometimes people have reasons why they're not necessarily providing all the information or they're not forthcoming. Those are not excuses. They're just reasons. So understand that everybody is, has interprets things a different way. Be a little open-minded and give people the benefit of the doubt. Give them the opportunity, and by that I mean give them the opportunity to come clean by simply asking them directly. Don't go out and accuse them of being a fraud on, on the, the word first turn of events. Because I'm here to tell you, you're never going to get accurate information 100% of the time. Mother Teresa probably wouldn't provide you with the accurate information 100% of the time. Sometimes people just make mistakes, so let's not forget that as well. Sometimes people simply make mistakes or they just don't know. Ladies and gentlemen, this is going to wrap it up for this week. I hope you found some value in this episode. I, I think this is an important topic. I want you guys to make sure that you're out there, number one, doing great deals, and number two, following through making sure that what you perceive to be a great deal is a great deal. Now, if you have not joined our Facebook group, make sure you head on over to cashflowguys.com forward slash group. If you are not on my mailing list, and yes, I know I do a terrible job of sending out emails. I promise I'm going to get better. Go to cashflowguys.com forward slash register. And every Friday morning at 11 o'clock, cashflowguystv. That's cashflowguys.com forward slash TV. Get you over to uh, my YouTube channel, that's where it's, it's basically a Zoom session where we'll be on YouTube and uh, talking about all kinds of Q&A, all kinds of different things that you need, that you want to learn. All of that is going to be on cashflowguys.com forward slash TV. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to me this week and have a great week. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas so you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.